You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works number 266, the first of three volumes by Rudolf Steiner, entitled From the Esoteric School, Esoteric Lessons 1904-1909, translated by James H. Hines. I am beginning part three, Notes of Esoteric Lessons. These are written from memory by the participants. I will be reading these in a slightly different uh, structure. The first uh, years, 04 and 05, are very short, so I'm going to put all that together into one file, this one file right now. And then 06, I believe, in one, and then depending on how large they get, I will uh, break them up. But some of the lessons are so short that using them as single files is not conducive. Here's a little preface. Before Rudolf Steiner, from May 1904 on, officially took over the institution and the creation of a German section, of the Esoteric School of Theosophy of the Theosophical Society in London, the German theosophists who sought an esoteric training were attached to the school in London. For more information on this, see title from the History and Contents of the First Section of the Esoteric School, 1904-1914, Collected Works, Volume 264. For reasons of continuity, Steiner began with references to Indian esotericism, because it was taught at the London School, as the notes from his esoteric lessons from the early years show. However, he soon tended more and more toward Christian Rosicrucian esotericism, as he had already taught individual pupils in private lessons before his official esoteric teaching within the Esoteric School of Theosophy. Notes from one of those privately given esoteric lessons for Marie Steiner at that time Marie von Sievers, in which genuine Christianity is discussed as the summation of all former stages of initiation, are therefore placed here, before the lessons held within the context of the school. Some remarks concerning terms that will constantly recur in the following records. Quote, My beloved sisters and brothers, The lesson participants were always addressed in this way. This is known from several notes and from oral reports. Quote, race, sub-race, root race, main race. Close quote. These were common terms in theosophical literature from the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th. They referred to various large phases of the evolution of humankind. They were also used by Rudolf Steiner in the first years of his activity within the Theosophical Society. He gradually replaced the term sub-race with cultural epoch or cultural period and the term root race with main epoch. For example, compare the lectures entitled The Apocalypse of John, Collected Works, Volume 104, from the year 1908, and his book, titled An Outline of Esoteric Science, Collected Works, Volume 13, which appeared around the turn of the year 1909-1910. Quote, Esoteric Schooling, 
exercises, meditations, auxiliary exercises. Close quote. These terms refer to various exercises given by Rudolf Steiner to his esoteric pupils. Further information concerning them can be found entitled Guidance in Esoteric Training, Collected Works, Volume 245. Further information on the auxiliary exercises can be found in the chapter titled Some Effects of Initiation in his book titled How to Know Higher Worlds, 190405, Collected Works, Volume 10, and in the chapter titled Knowledge of the Higher Worlds Concerning Initiation in his book titled An Outline of Esoteric Science, Collected Works, Volume 13. Quote, Master, Masters of Wisdom and Harmony of Feelings, close quote. Rudolf Steiner is referring to highly developed individuals who are of the greatest significance for the evolution of humankind. Quote, These sublime beings have already gone the path which the rest of humanity has still to tread. Now they work as the great masters of wisdom and harmony of the feelings of humanity. Close quote. From a letter of January 2nd, 1905, printed in titled The History and Contents of the First Section of the Esoteric School, 1904-1914, Collected Works, Volume 264. Quote, Concerning the Spirits of Time, Archangel Epochs. Close quote. In Rudolf Steiner's lectures, there are repeated references to the seven archangels and their epochs of regency over history. The first mention is in the Esoteric Lessons. The names of the seven archangels and their individual connection to the seven planets, as well as the times of their regencies, can be traced back to Johannes Trithemius. In 1508, he published a mystical chronology in his treatise quote, concerning the seven spirits or angels, close quote, which, according to God, should rule the world. Okay, that's the end of that. Introduction. Titled, The Task of Spiritual Science. Berlin, either 1903 or 1904. Notes by Marie Steiner from a private esoteric lesson. There is a beautiful statement by Hegel. The deepest thought is concerned with the figure of Christ, the historical and external. And the greatness of the Christian religion is seen in the fact that it exists for every level of education. The most naive mind can take hold of it, and at the same time it is a challenge for the deepest wisdom. The fact that the Christian religion is understandable for every stage of consciousness is taught already by the history of its development. It is the task of the theosophical spiritual stream or spiritual science altogether, if it understands its task, to show that Christianity calls us to penetrate the deepest wisdom teachings of humanity. Theosophy is not a religion, but rather a tool for understanding religions. It is related to ancient religious scriptures in the same way modern mathematical teaching is related to ancient books of mathematical instruction. One can understand mathematics with one's own mental powers, understand the laws of space 
without regard to the old books. But when one has understood them, has absorbed the teachings of geometry, one will value the ancient books even more, the books that first brought these laws to the human mind. It is the same way with theosophy. Its sources are not in ancient documents, are not based on tradition. Its sources are in the real spiritual world. That is where one has to find them and grasp them by developing one's own spiritual powers, just as one grasps mathematics by seeking to develop the powers of one's intellect. Our intellect, which serves us in understanding the laws of the sense world, is supported by one organ, the brain. To grasp the laws of spiritual worlds, we likewise need corresponding organs. How have our physical organs developed? External forces have worked on them, the forces of the sun, the forces of sound. Thus arose the eye, thus arose the ear, from neutral, dull, insensitive organs, which at first did not permit penetration of the sense world, and opened only slowly. So too will our spiritual organs open when the right forces work on them. What are the forces that are currently attacking our spiritual organs, which are still dull and insensitive? There are the forces during the day that penetrate the astral body of the modern human being, forces that work against our development, that even kill the organs we had earlier when clear day consciousness was not yet possible. In earlier ages, human beings perceived astral impressions directly. The world surrounding spoke to them through pictures, through the forms of expression of the astral world. Vivid pictures organically constructed within themselves and colors floated free all around in space as expressions of pleasure and discomfort, sympathy and antipathy. These colors wrapped themselves, so to speak, around the surface of things. Objects became firmly contoured. That happened as the physical bodies of human beings were becoming firmer and articulated, as the eyes of human beings were opened fully for the physical light, as the veil of Maya was placed before the spiritual world, the astral body of the human being received impressions from the surrounding world by way of the physical and etheric bodies. The astral body then conveyed them to the capital I from where they then appeared in human consciousness. The astral body was constantly laid claim to, constantly busy, but what worked on it in this way was not plastic, formative forces corresponding to its own true nature. They were forces that consumed it, that killed it in order to awaken I consciousness, capital. Only at night, when it was submerged in the rhythmical, spiritual world, was it in a world homogeneous with itself and could strengthen itself anew bringing forces to the physical and etheric bodies. 
the life of the individual I, ego-consciousness itself, arose from the conflict of impressions, from the deadening of the astral organs that worked in the human being unconsciously in earlier times. From life-death, from death-life, the circle of the snake was closed. Now from this awakened consciousness of self, this I-consciousness, the power should come to enkindle again life in the remnants of earlier astral organs that have died, the power to form them plastically. Humanity is moving toward this goal. It is led in that direction by its teachers, its leaders, the great initiates, whose symbol is also the snake. It is an education toward freedom, therefore slow and difficult. The great initiates could, so to speak, make the task easier for themselves and humankind if they would work directly on the astral body during the night when it is free. Then they could manipulate the astral body, quote, from the outside, close quote, so to speak, in such a way as to imprint astral organs in, the, in human beings. But that kind of work would have its impact within the dream consciousness of human beings and interference in their sphere of freedom. The highest principle of the human being, the will, could never be developed. We are led stepwise There was an initiation in wisdom, one in the feeling life, and one in the will. Genuine Christianity is the combination of all stages of initiation. Initiation in ancient times was a prophetic proclamation, a preparation. Slowly and gradually the new human being was emancipated from his or her initiate or guru. Initiation took place at first in full trance consciousness, but equipped with the means of imprinting into the physical body a memory of what happened outside the body. Hence the need to loosen also the etheric body, the bearer of memory, together with the astral. Both were submerged in the ocean of wisdom in Mahadeva, in the light of Osiris. This initiation took place in complete secrecy, in total seclusion. The human being was as if dead to external life. The delicate seeds were cultivated away from the blinding light of day. Then initiation stepped forward out of the darkness of the mysteries into the brightest light of day. It did so in a great powerful personality, the bearer of the highest unifying principle, of the word that expresses the hidden Father, that is, His manifestation, which by taking on human form could therefore become the Son of Man and the representative for all humankind. It did so in the unifying bond of all eyes, capital, in Christ, in the life spirit, in the eternally uniting occurred historically 
at the same time symbolically, the initiation of all humankind at the soul level, the feeling level. This event was of such might and power that it could continue working in every individual who followed him into the physical body, even unto an appearance of the marks of the wounds, even unto the most penetrating pain. The profoundest depths of feeling were stirred. An intensity of feeling arose, such as had never before flooded the world with such mighty waves. In the initiation on the cross, divine love brought about the sacrifice of the I for all human beings. The physical expression of the I, blood, flowed in love for humankind and worked in such a fashion that thousands thronged to this initiation, to this death, and let their blood flow in love, in enthusiasm for humanity. It has never been emphasized enough how much blood flowed in this way. People are no longer even aware of it, not even in theosophical circles. Nevertheless, the waves of enthusiasm that streamed out in this flowing blood have accomplished their task. They have become powerful impulse bearers. They have made people ripe for the initiation of the will. And this is the legacy of Christ. End of that esoteric lesson. The next esoteric lesson is from Berlin, July 9th, 1904. This is from Stenographic Notes by Franz Seiler. First a prayer spoken by Dr. Steiner. Then a remark that the Masters are speaking through Dr. Steiner, that he is only the means of bringing the thoughts of the Masters to expression. Master Moria tells us about the goal of human evolution. He is the one who brings humanity its goals. Master Kuthumi is the one who shows us the way to these goals. Poor trail of the lower eye and the higher eye. There is a lower eye in every human being which is to be overcome. Then the transitory nature of the body is considered. My body will pass away, and also your body will decay into the smallest atoms. But the words that are now spoken will not pass away, because we ourselves will become what we are now speaking. That is the seed from which we will one day again come forth. Thoughts and feelings are realities. They are what will provide the material for building what comes later. Therefore, we must strive to harbor the highest and noblest thoughts and feelings that are at all possible for us. These thoughts and feelings chain us to what is similar to these thoughts and feelings. Here we create thousands and thousands of connections. There are four degrees, parts, or paths of development. There are also seven senses five senses as we know them from physical life, and two senses that have yet to be developed. Ten centers of force in the human being, 
one prana in the breast, two apan in the region of the organs of secretion, three saman in the navel, four udan in the middle of the throat, five vayu permeates the entire body, six kurm in the eyes, seven krikala in the stomach calls forth hunger, eight nag causes vomiting, nine devadatta causes yawning, number ten dananyaha that which does not leave the body, not even after death. Prana corresponds to the eight-petal lotus flower. Udan corresponds to the sixteen-petal lotus flower. The two-petaled lotus flower is located between the eyebrows. Concerning dying, it was said, just as one must learn to die, so too one must learn to let one's feelings die out. But the serious thing that is to be learned is to stand. That is that in the confusions of life we have a sure foothold. Let me read that again. That is that in the confusions of life we have a sure foothold. That we no longer know anxiety and fear, but rather calmly and firmly look every event in the eye, E-Y-E, that may come to us no matter what it may be. There are then four stages that we have to ascend. First we are to seek out the I, the kernel within us. Then we will also recognize the not I. We must seek out this middle point within us, for this middle point lies in every individual being. Middle point is everywhere. Periphery is everywhere. You can think of yourself transported to the outer limits. You can find the middle point everywhere. The earth rotates around the sun. The sun rotates with the earth through the greater universe. And next to them an unlimited number of other heavenly bodies are rotating. Every individual being creates a middle point. There are no human beings like us living on those heavenly bodies. There are indeed also beings on them, but no human beings. Human beings have no connection with them. There is no relationship present. You can only achieve this relationship if you inwardly raise yourself up to a level where all those beings have their common foundation. The second is to make your astral body lively, that is, to feel yourself as an I, capital, in the astral sea. The third is to overcome the astral sea and achieve deep tranquility. The fourth is to perceive the voice in the stillness. That is where the Master calls as if from without, That is you. The best picture for this development is the following. If you have found your I, capital, then think yourself carried out onto the great world sea. Nothing can be seen on the surface of the water. As far as the eye, E-Y-E, can see, nothing but water and sky. The ends of the sea are bordered by the horizon. On this surface we imagine ourselves as a wave in the moving water, as a single wave among the many waves. When we truly feel ourselves as one with the waves, then we must calm the waves of the sea. 
profound calmness must prevail. There is nothing to be heard, nothing to be seen. The water we are immersed in is completely calm. No movement of any kind is present. In this perfect calmness, in this perfect seclusion, the voice of the Master can sound. It can no longer be deadened by the noise of everyday life. After this we practiced the exercise. We all practiced this picture. When we all put ourselves in the thought of the I, capital, then in the waves of the sea, and then in the deep calmness of the sea. That is the end of that esoteric lesson. This is Esoteric Lesson from Berlin, July 14, 1904. Stenographic Notes from Franz Seiler. Number 1. The Mahatma's Masters have something to say to us today. Number 2. The three duties of the esoteric pupil are named overcome pride and vanity, live theosophy practically, represent theosophy to the world. Bracket points 3 through 6 are listed as points in the notes but without text. Close bracket. Number 7. Now Master Moria will speak. Number 8. The Masters can be seen by us as ideals. They have attained what we must still attain to. Therefore we can ask them about our further development. Number 9. In us lie the powers, seed-like, that have grown to full blossom in the Masters. Number 10. In order to understand development, the development of plants to animals, to the human being, can be studied. Number 11. As a symbol for the development of the plant, the following symbol was shown to us, an upside-down capital T. Number 12. As symbol for the development of the animal, a regular-looking capital T. 13. As symbol for the development of the human being is a cross. Number 14. No text. Number 15. There are three steps of development and correspondingly three virtues. Number 16. There are two streams in every human being, kama and manas, the good and the bad streams. The bad one is kama, spelled K-A-M-A. Number 17. The path of salvation is known is shown us in John's Gospel. There we find number one, the washing of the feet, number two, the blow to Jesus' face, number three, the scourging, number four, the crown of thorns, number five, Jesus takes his cross upon himself, number six, the crucifixion, number seven, the marks of the wounds. Number eighteen, that can be the path for a perfect transformation. That is the end of that esoteric lesson. Next esoteric lesson was given in Munich on November 10th or 11th, 1905. The manuscript is from Eugenie Bredel. Necessity for the esotericist to understand the plan that humankind is unconsciously working through under the guidance of the White Lodge.
The center point of the earth is humankind, which is what is important in this world. On many other worlds, other beings are at work, and the human beings of those worlds are like our higher animals. Human beings of earth have received the planet already formed by the gods and are transforming it to an extent. At first, its development takes place on the plane of the material, in the widest meaning of the term. For this, it was necessary to develop human intelligence so that logical thinking connects human beings into a humanity. Atlanteans were not yet able to think. They were led by the gods. The Indo-Europeans must become lords of their world out of their own resources. The unity that excludes various points of view has already been achieved intellectually. There do not exist various points of view on how to build a steam engine or other such things. Science and its products, the utilization of the forces of nature, the transportation system have found the various races and nations, excuse me, have bound the various races and nations into a unity. Five thousand years ago, what a difference, for example, between the products of the Chinese and European peoples. Today, however, there is even a certain bridging between this people and the West. A bishop from Bremen writes about the customs in the marketplace in the 11th and 12th centuries, how in religious cults animals were slaughtered and horse blood was drunk. This happened in eastern Germany, while already in the West cities were beginning to bloom. Such contradictions right next to one another would be impossible today. Humankind has just begun to make use of the forces of nature. This will soon become very different, and in the next millennia even more so. People will draw the forces out of flowing water and make use of them. With mighty mirrors they will catch the powerful forces in the rays of the sun and know how to make use of them. They will learn to master the forces deep in the earth that are now released through volcanic eruption and originate in a mighty spiritual being within the earth. The most wonderful machines will be thought up by human beings in order to place all these released forces in the service of humankind. They will even gain power over the magnetic forces of the entire sun, for the earth is on a great magnet, with its south pole at the earth's north pole and its north pole at the earth's south pole. Now they are able only to guide their ships with this force. When a change in the earth was necessary in distant primal times, the forces of the gods set the axis of the earth at an angle. In coming times, humankind will be able to turn the axis. The development of humankind's intelligence and logic will continue to increase and will bring about the unity of humankind in the sensual realm. The development of morality was first made possible by the gods through the ethical teachings of all the great religions. But the time must come when people know the law of the good as clearly as they know the laws of logic today. 
What is good and true in the realm of the spiritual will then not be a matter of point of view, as it still comes to expression today in the various religions, in the creation of parliaments to settle this or that question of law. When people become aware that there is a good, a morality that is as certain and clear as a mathematical proposition, then human beings will have united also in this realm to a humanity that will carry an entirely different physiognomy than the humanity of today. In order to lead humanity to this knowledge of the moral, to reveal its laws so that a band of people arises that consciously works out of itself, the fourth master, Christian Rosenkreutz, founded the Rosicrucian order. The other intellectual education of the West requires a different teaching. In the East, the spiritual teaching that was given to the Indians by the ancient Rishis continued to influence the folk. Christian Rosenkreutz and his seven pupils placed morality at the beginning of knowledge of the law, not in order for it to echo in human beings in the law given by the religions, but rather so that the law, recognized as such, awaken in every individual human being to individual life. The truth in the realm of morality and the good should arise within people as something felt and understood. The task of the esoteric school is to prepare people for a unity that will bind humanity together. The end of that esoteric lesson. The next esoteric lesson was given in Berlin on December 13, 1905. Again, manuscript from Eugenie Bredo. After some introductory words for a new member to be admitted, he spoke enchantingly, beautifully, so that I believe, so that I, I believe, finally felt more than on October 4th. He spoke about the most important event of our time, the conquering of Tibet by the English, the people of egotism, by means of which the last remnants of spirituality on earth disappeared. He spoke about the religion of the Tibetans, their inner purity and their understanding, about Buddhism as Buddha taught it intimately to his disciples. That the incarnated teacher on earth would be the feminine element which should be fructified by the divine, the masculine element. From this marriage the Bodhisattva arose, concerning whom the Tibetans say he was Avalokiteshvara, the wisdom of God. He spoke about the Dalai Lama and his selection from children who were born during special events in nature. He spoke about the spirits of fire mist, whose pupil was our master. He spoke about the development of the human being to such a mighty being. He spoke about the rhythms of nature, the stars, the entire system of the world, that only the astral body of the human being is still chaotic, and that the human being must still make this body rhythmical, otherwise the human being would disturb evolution. He then came to speaking about Christmas, and the importance of the festivals of the year. 
that at Christmas the sun stood at its lowest point in the year and on the 25th began to ascend, and that in this night the masters of the White Lodge had a conference in which they sent out the power of the sun of the coming year to those people who wanted entirely to devote themselves to them, to surrender entirely their personality and ask them for strength. If one celebrates Christmas this way, asks the masters in this way, then they send their strength into these people on this December 25th so that the power of the master works through them. Then he spoke of the last incarnation of the master Kutumi and his attendance at universities in order to be able to interpret the great wisdom in other languages and in the modern spirit, that this incarnation had not been in a specific personality, but rather that his power had been at work here and there. That's the end of that esoteric lesson. This next esoteric lesson was given in Munich on December 15th or 16th, 1905. Again, manuscript from Eugeni Bredal. Doubt whether Kutumi had been at European universities. The necessity thereof in order to learn European concepts. Same necessity to learn Chinese in order to make himself understood with Chinese. Esoteric Law Extinguish the Personal Christ not historically provable, neither the master of the old cathedral, the author of Theologia Deutsch, etc. Rhythm in life is esoteric law. The Spirit of God hovers over the waters, beginning chaos. Transformation of chaos into rhythm, work of Dian Chohans. Structure of the human being given to him or her, higher bodies still chaotic. Own work to allow them to flow into the great rhythms of the world, through extinguishing to fit them in entirely, to annul the personal. Three great rhythms in the universe, the outflowing of divine forces, to bring these chaotic, confused, swelling forces into rhythm and form, and once again the streaming into the primal divine, which conditions the dissolution of the form and is the human being's own work. One of the symbols, the Aum, the outstreaming of the divine Ah, the short question mark abiding in matter Oo, and the individualized flowing back into the divine, the M that slowly fades away. Legends and mysticism of all eras have hinted at this development of life. The human being finds might only in extinguishing the personal and devotion to the great rhythm of the universe. All life of nature takes place rhythmically. The returning life of the plant world, the mating season for animals, the functions of the human physical body that was made by the great builders of forms and given to him. Perfection of the human body, hip, bone and socket. The astral and mental powers of human beings still chaotic. It must be their own work to harmonize them and bring them into absolute harmony with the rhythm of the universe.
necessity of creating a special existence so that human beings as I-beings can be joined again to the whole in clear consciousness of self. The astral body that is still chaotic is only a part of the great astral body of the world out of which the stars came. Just as their perfection took place and takes place through rhythm, so too human perfection. When human beings learn to devote themselves fully and completely to this universe, the words of Christ, quote, who loses his or her life will find it, close quote. The Persian esoteric school had seven initiations, degrees of initiation. Number one, the raven, who is still connected to the external world, the messenger, Raven of Wotan, Elijah, Barbarossa. Number two, the esotericist. Number three, the warrior. Number four, the lion. Number five, the Persian, the true representative of his people, Manas. Number six, the sun hero, the loss of one's special existence by merging into the rhythm of the universe. Buddhi, Christ. Seven, the father, Atma. The end of that esoteric lesson. The next esoteric lesson given in Berlin on December 28, 1905, manuscript from Eugenie Baredo. There are two things he wanted to say to us today concerning mantras and concerning the most important rules that the lofty master Moria would give to his pupils. There are nine characteristics that belong to the masters. Number one, truth. Number two, wisdom. Number three, immeasurability. Number four, goodness. Number five, illimitableness. Number six, beauty. Number seven, peace. Number eight, blessing. Number nine, integrity. From us, he requires five things. Number one, purification of our feelings. Number two, purification of our love. Number three, emptiness of our memories. Number four, clarity of our understanding. Number five, extinguishing or rousing of our will. The heart must be purified. Love must lose all that is unchaste and become divine. In order to become objective, the memory must not hang on to anything that could awaken prejudices. Our understanding should be clear and our will where it is selfish, should be extinguished, but where it serves as an instrument for the master, it should be roused. Mantras produce vibrations of the word that correspond to the vibrations of thought in the Akashic, matter. Concerning the Christmas verse, quote, Gloria in excelsis Deo et in terra pax hominibus bonae voluntatis, close quote. In the Latin language it has a mantric effect. Then he spoke an Indian mantra with a similar content with which he also closed. Festivals are nodal points set by the masters, New Year's Day also. Therefore it is important to elevate them. That is the end of that esoteric lesson and that is the end of this uh, part of the reading. I read uh, the esoteric lessons, the notes of them as it were, from 05, excuse me, 04 and 05. And I will begin in the next section with esoteric lessons uh, beginning in January, or excuse me, February 
1906.